Get ready to enjoy an earful of auditory indulgence as you explore Tom Moon's book, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die, presented in cooperation with Workman Publishing. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 1,000 Recordings podcast, episode number 24. I'm your host, Anthony Joseph Landman, and with me every week is the exuberant Mitchell Davis. What's up? Hey, how's it going? It's going good. Going good. Things are getting busy. I'm uh, uh, putting on a concert here in about a month, so things are getting pretty busy here. But yeah, good, good. What about you? Cool. Same. Uh, very, very, uh, very, very busy this week. Uh, busy at work, busy at home. Um, good weather, man. Houston, uh, this time of year is it's it's basically perfect um <laughs> doesn't get as high as 80 usually um nice breeze humidity is not too bad yeah um that's always the best time in houston because you know it, it's, it's gonna last such a short time and mm-hmm. you know pretty soon it's gonna be super hot and super humid and yeah 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 springtime in houston is is the best time you know you you get to i mean if you're into gardening and all that kind of stuff you know that that's the time to do it and but yeah, once once you get past uh, April and May and on into June, it's you pretty much don't want to go outside at all. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just awful. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, are you ready to get into it or? Oh yeah, man. Uh, we uh, have uh, quite a, a diverse mix of of things to talk about this week, as usual. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. We're gonna start off with Fiddler on the Roof the original Broadway cast recording. Uh, Then we're going to move on to Doc Boggs, uh, kind of, I don't know, folk bluegrass blues player. Yeah, they. I I guess they say because of the where where he is, kind of where in between the South and Appalachians, like a mix of bluegrass and and blues and and kind of both, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, then we're going to move on to Bonnie Prince Billy, his album I See a Darkness. And after that, we're going to talk about Boogie Down Productions by All Means Necessary, uh, the KRS-One, basically. Uh, and then we're going to end with James Booker, uh, New Orleans uh, jazz sort of ragtime stride piano player gospel. Yeah, all, gospel, all those things. Gospel for sure. You you can hear the church in. And, and, and Mr. Booker for sure. You you know he that that sound is is distinctive to 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 the, especially black church. You know, I mean, it's the the first time I noticed, I was like, man, you know, he he learned how to play in church, or or somebody taught yeah. him that yeah, yeah. play in church. So definitely, yeah, yeah. So um, we're gonna start though with Fiddler on the Roof, and uh, like I said on the last podcast, you know, this was the first musical that I ever saw. Uh, my parents took me to see this when I was really, really young, um, real young, maybe as, as young as like four. I don't know, but I was really wow. young. Wow. And it was at Miller Outdoor Theater in Houston. And uh, I said, you know, last time that it, it, it starred Zero Mostel, which is the guy who was the star of the original Broadway cast. I'm not sure that now that, that it was him. Because he died in 1977, mm-hmm. and uh, which would have meant that 
I would have had to have been maybe three or four when I saw it, which I guess is possible, but it might not have been him. I think it it might have been the guy that was in the movie version. Uh, yeah. I am uh, Topol. Yeah, Topol. I was going to yeah. say, yeah, I know he's the other person that, that's always been associated with the the main role. Um, I, I want to say I, I remember when that was happening because – I remember them running ads for it where where they had it at Miller Outdoor Theater. They they had these girls in the commercial singing the the matchmaker song. And and that was really my first exposure to the music of, of Fiddler on the Roof when it, it first came here, I guess. I mean as as long as I can remember. I must have been if you were if you were three or four, I was probably about seven or eight years old when yeah, that happened. That and that's right. that's that seems about about that time because, like I said, I I remember the ads for it where they, like I said, they they had the music and, and how it it had, had this you know tremendous run on Broadway. They broke all these records where they was like one of the first shows to to run like over three thousand shows and and that kind of thing. So I, I can just remember how how much of a an effect it had on people um, at that time. Yeah, they even yeah. uh, I remember there was a parody on. Uh, on Sanford and Son, where when and, and oh, really? this is a this is like a different situation where it was Fred's birthday and Lamont took him to see the movie Fiddler on the Roof. Uh-huh. I mean, and and you know Fred was I mean it was just Lamont trying to sort of broaden Fred's horizons, and Fred didn't want to go, and he was like, you know, well I don't want to go see this movie with this guy and his daughters he's trying to get them married or whatever and he's on the roof and he's always fussing at god and you know anyway <laughs> um you know it, it was just one of those shows that seemed to just kind of you know permeate you know into all walks of society at the time you know where yeah. it was that that yeah. popular yeah that that that's funny that kind of that kind of sums up the musical you know an old guy uh trying to marry off his daughter is always fussing at God. That That's kind of what it, Fiddler on the Roof is. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, man. Sanford and Son. I haven't thought about Sanford and Son in a long time. Um, so, yeah, you know, this this musical, uh, music by Jerry Bach, lyrics by Sheldon Harnick, and it tells the tale of Tevye, uh, basically a poor milkman, uh, Jewish, you know, living in a Jewish shtetl. A shtetl is like a, a small Jewish community. There are a bunch of uh, shtetls around Eastern Europe and Russia yeah. uh, in the 19th century for sure. In the early 20th century, this is set in 1905. And then those uh, really kind of disappeared after the Holocaust uh, for the most part. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's basically a story about traditions you know it opens up with this song and the famous song tradition and really how those traditions are changing and breaking down so you have this you know older generation represented by Tevye and his wife Golda I think is how you pronounce it um, and they're the old school they're the the old school old world traditionalists and the daughters and uh, these guys that are courting the daughters and they end up marrying, these represent the new ideal, the changing traditions and the changing society and and how the two are sort of dealing with each other. And that that's really how uh, uh, most of the musical is about. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And so, you know, the tradition is to arrange marriage, right, through the through the matchmaker. There's a matchmaker in the shtetl, and she arranges, that's the tradition, she arranges all the marriages. Um, the, you know, Tevye and Golda were married this way, uh, but all three daughters break this tradition, right? They all marry for love, which is, mm. yeah. Yeah. Outside of tradition. And one even marries a Christian dude. Yeah. Oh, oh my. Gosh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Risque. And um, <laughs> it's funny, you know, to to watch some of these old musicals. I, I remember when I saw not too long ago, it was probably um, like four or five years ago, I watched uh, South Pacific, the, the movie version, the film mm-hmm. version of South Pacific with uh, my parents. Mm-hmm. And I had never seen South Pacific. I didn't know anything about what the story was about or anything. Um, and, and one of the big themes in it is that this, uh, you know, it's set in the um, like world war two era. Mm-hmm. Um, and these, you know, soldiers are stationed in these South Pacific islands in Asia. And one of the, um, you know, military dudes falls in love with this native, right? This Asian girl. Mm-hmm. And so it's going on and it's like this big thing. And I'm, th- I'm watching, I'm like, I don't understand what, like, what's going on. And my parents were like, well, it's like, you know, it's interracial. And I'm like, it is? They're like, yeah, that was a big deal back then. And I'm like, interracial between the guy and the Asian girl? And, and they said, yeah, you know, that was like this big thing, this big taboo back then. And like, they can't be together. I'm like, wow. Yeah. You know, how yeah. society has changed. You know, it's like we, we watch it from today's perspective. I'm like, I don't understand what the deal is here. What's going on? You know? Well, and, um, and I, that, that's funny. I mean, because I, I was thinking about that the other day. I was, okay, there's a show called Mad Men that comes on AMC. And there's a part where um, one of the main characters, I mean, is he's basically like, you know, a guy who sells you know, as, as far as I can tell, like cigarettes where he markets, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. mass market cigarettes. And, 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 and the discussion came up where they talked about how their marketing, they targeted, you know, groups of individuals where they, they had a, a group that focused on, on Jews, a groups that focused on Italians, you know, a group that, you know, would focus on, you know, whatever. And, and they, they had to stay, you know, in that tradition of advertising, because they said you don't you don't mix them at all, you know, and and that's just how it was. I mean, you know, they they wouldn't you know try to you know have a say like a, a an Italian guy go out to Jewish people and 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 try to you know you know pitch cigarettes to them or vice versa. It was it was just one of those things you didn't do, you know. And it and it is funny how now, you know, you can kind of look back at that, and, and and some traditions are are still sort of you know lingering, I guess if you would say, and 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 really haven't changed much, but some have changed a lot, you know. And and this is a good representation, you know, like you said, where, you know, this musical and and South Pacific kind of show you how things were then, um, and and how yeah. people dealt with you know, sort of breaking tradition because when, when you fall in love with somebody, sometimes it's, it's not even about, you know, the, the person's, you know, 
ethnicity or whatever, obviously. I mean, it's just one of those things where I, I saw this, this lady or I saw this man and, you know, they just, they're just it for me. You know, it, it has nothing to do with, you know, you know, where they came from or, or what their skin color is. It's just, you know, that, yeah. that was just me. You know, they, they, you know, they, they drew my attention right away. And, and, and I guess that's, you know, a, a good thing to, to still kind of look at where, you know, you have some people now who they, they still think that, you know, like interracial dating, let alone marriage is just like a no, no, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, my own family saw that, um, you know, my, uh, mother's father, um, his brother, my mother's father's brother. So my great uncle, Fred, um, they were both in the, in world war two. My, my grandfather was in Europe. My uncle Fred was in the Pacific and while he was in the Pacific, the same thing happened to him is in South Pacific. So he fell in love with his Japanese girl and they wanted to get married. And, uh, his mother, um, forbade it. Mm. And, you know, Fred was always kind of the, you know, when you're in a large family, you know, he was kind of the good son. Yeah. And so he he did what his mom wanted. He left Japan and he didn't marry her and he remained a bachelor his entire life. So, you know, it's interesting to think about, you know, what would have happened had he married. And, you know, like I, I would have had this, you know, connection to Japan through our family and all this stuff and what his life would have been like. And had it not been for this, you know, st- stupid racism really you know um, yeah. but uh anyway man we're, we're we're kind of getting off going off on a tangent <laughs> here so let's get to the first piece um if i were a rich man um this is one of the big tunes from this uh from this musical this is sung by the main character tevia played by zero mostel um and uh it's really just a song of tevia musing to god you know of you know, what he would do if he were a rich man and, you know, what would it would it have been so terrible for God to have made him rich instead of poor, you know, just really that's what the song is about. But, you know, he really makes, Mostel really makes this song by his, his just his personality. Yeah. You know, and and how he sings the song and um, I don't, what did you think of this? Well, the, the one of the first things that, that kind of came to my mind um, listening to this song and like I said, it, it, it's really like the the one of the the most popular songs, if not the most popular song from from this musical. And and I I thought to myself, he must have been like a rock star in New York. I mean, they must have loved him. I mean, he oh, he yeah. was probably so revered and so respected. And I mean, just you know, I mean, they they, they he probably had to have like you know, a, a crew of people around him just to go from place to place because, you know, he was, I mean, just the man, <laughs> you know, and um, it, it's its one of those songs, like you said, where he just wants to try to, you know, picture in his mind, you know, what it could have been like, you know, and instead of, you know, having the life that he has, you know, having it much, much better. You know, yeah, and um, just it just kind of has like a, a a vibe to it where the the music has a you know 
I'm trying to think of the, the word to say. I mean, it, 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 it seems to kind of lean towards, you know, what you would hear in, in music as, as, as far as, you know, that influence and where, where Jews were in Russia, you know. Oh, yeah, but, definitely. But then it seems to lean back almost to where the music almost sounds Middle Eastern at times. Um, well, and, yeah, I mean, it's using a lot of the, uh, the same um, sort of scales and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, the music is definitely uh you know highly influenced and infused with this uh traditional jewish music yeah yeah, yeah definitely and and I, I i've always liked the way that song sounded you know the the music of it as well as you know the the lyrics and 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 just him just kind of you know sort of sort of waxing poetic i guess if you will about what what life would be like you know to be to be a rich man you yeah, know, and, and I, I, we all do that. I'm sure. You know, that's right. Yeah, it's 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 so universal. We've all mused at some point of what we would all do if we were rich, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, but except Mitch and I, because we're both rolling in it. So yeah, man, right. I'm I'm packing. I'm, oh yeah, I, I write a check in the bank bounces. <laughs> 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 so uh, let's check this out. This is if I were a rich man. I'd build a big tall house with rooms by the dozen right in the middle of the town. A fine tin roof with a real wooden floors below. There couldn't be one long staircase just going up and one even longer coming down. And one more leading nowhere just for show. I'd fill my yard with chicks and turkeys and geese and ducks for the town to see and hear Squawking just as noisily as they can And each loud will land like a trumpet on the ear As if to say he lives a wealthy man Oh, if I were a rich man All day long I'd be de be de If I were a wealthy man I wouldn't have to work hard If I were a bitty bitty rich Yididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididid
from Fiddler on the Roof. I'm going to move on to Sunrise Sunset. And this is a song, uh, kind of a duet between Tevye and Golda um, singing, I don't know, with, with kind of a, a longing sort of reminiscence, you know, mm. about, uh, you know, their daughters having grown up and getting married and, you know, oh, you know, where did the time go? They they were just small and, all. you know, that is, you know, two parents sort of, yeah, musing and, and getting that sort of empty nest kind of yeah. kind of syndrome. Yeah. Good, good melancholy, uh, tearjerker type stuff where you, yeah. you know, that this is a this is a time that, you know, it, it's precious because things are about to change dramatically, you know, and I, I think to myself when I think about my children, you know, and and the issue of of them wanting to get grown and and me wanting them to get grown and, and hey, you know what? You, you think you know everything? Well, okay, good. Go ahead and, and get your stuff and, and, and let's get your own place and pay some bills and, and and get some real life in your system. You know, I think to myself, I'm so ready for that. I'm so ready for that to happen. But then when it actually happens, I imagine what, what's going on in, in this song. I'm, I'm going to go through a lot of that because, I mean, I love my children, you know, and, and I can sense that they, in, in this musical they they really did too and it, it's kind of one of those things where you know time really really flies you 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 think that your your kids you're gonna have to raise them forever but you really are not you know and um yeah yeah it's just one of those things that to to you know you start to reflect like like they're reflecting and you know like i said just just one of those those really melancholy pleasant melancholy type moments um in, in this musical where you have two people who really love each other thinking about, you know, everything that that's gone on and, and, and the so-called, I guess, circle of, of life, you know? Yeah. 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 And it's also, I think, uh, kind of a reflection of bigger issues that are going on in the musical, uh, pertaining to the Bolshevik revolution in Russia yeah. that's going on, you know, right at that time. Yeah. And, um, the, the sort of, uh, you know, not only their lives are about to change on you know, their little family, but Russia is about to explode. And, yeah. you know, the old czarist regime and how everything that's how that's been done uh, and the old ways, the old traditions, all that is about to end mm-hmm. in Russia and this new, uh, completely new outlook, completely new order is about to start. And everything's going to change, you know. And so this is, uh, I think, kind of a, yeah, it, it kind of encompasses that too. It, it sort of encompasses that sadness of their, not only their family changing, but their whole way of life, their whole society yeah. is yeah. changing. And uh, they're going to have to deal with it. And um, yeah, so uh, let's check this out. This last track from Fiddler on the Roof. This is Sunrise, Sunset. Is this the little girl I carried? Is this the little boy at play? I don't remember growing older When did they? When did 
did she get to be a beauty? When did he grow to be this tall? Wasn't it yesterday when they were Sunset, sunrise, sunset, swiftly flow the days. Seedlings turn overnight to sunflowers, blossoming even as we What words of wisdom can I give them? How can I help to ease their way? Now they must learn from one another Day by day And we just heard Sunrise, Sunset And we're going to move on to our next album, Doc Boggs, his Folkway years, 1963 to 1968. And uh, Doc Boggs was an interesting guy, had an interesting story. Um, he was born in Norton, Virginia in 1898 and into sort of, a, you know, Appalachian region, a very coal mine dense. <laughs> you know, a lot oh, yeah. of, a lot of the, the people were coal miners. He was working in a coal mine by age 12 that's unbelievable i know i know i mean it, it makes you wonder you know like what the condi- life conditions were back then and um i'm assuming that was before child labor laws were oh yeah oh yeah in- i mean implemented coal coal mining is is like the people say coal mining is no punk that is some real oh, dangerous yeah. work uh-huh. where especially back I mean, then yeah i mean you know, you imagine with all the different things that go on in coal mining now where they have all the safety stuff and, and the, you know, sort of like pockets where if you know there's a collapse, you can run in and, and get into like the like the little safety kind of closures or whatever. They had none of that. And yeah, I mean, they still, you know, have issues where they lose people almost seemingly every other year or whatever to collapses and i mean he was 12 i know <laughs> he was 12 years I know. old it's crazy going through all that i mean I, that that that's that's a testament in yeah. itself yeah you know so yeah i mean the dude had a, a not an easy life um you know from the beginning and uh he learned banjo from his father and his brothers and also um was enamored with the african-american music that was going on at the same time which a lot of uh you know, white people at the time, it was very separated. Let's just say that, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. the one side didn't cross over really to the other, but he, he really did. And he ended up when he was a boy following um, this African-American guitarist, um, apparently who was named Go Lightning. 
<laughs> and he followed him um, up and down the railroad tracks of so what he would do. He was, he would go lightning would um, apparently travel up and down the, the railroad tracks to the different towns and then play, uh, you know, just on the street. And uh, Doc would kind of shadow him and learn from him. And he would he would learn different styles. He would learn a different style of playing the banjo with his fingers. He started to learn uh, Mississippi Delta blues and incorporate that into uh, the music that you know he learned from his father and his brothers. And um, uh, yeah, yeah. Apparently during the 20s, he was making a pretty reasonable career out of his music career until the Great Depression in 1929. And if that, you know, at that point, pretty much everything dropped out from under him. And uh, nobody was high. Nobody had money to hire musicians yeah. anymore. And he eventually pawned his banjo and completely left music in 1930. Um, because he just couldn't make a living anymore. And um, in 1963, I mean, you know, 33 years later. Yeah, <laughs> long time. He was uh, sought out by a folk music scholar, Mike Seeger. Uh, and uh, Mike actually found him, you know, in his home in the Appalachian Mountains and convinced him to play at this American folk festival in Asheville, North Carolina. And after that his career kind of took off again and he started uh, recording for Folkway records, which is what we're going to hear now. Folkway is Folkway recordings from the 1960s. Um, yeah. What did you think of doc Boggs? Um, one thing I was, I was thinking about, well, first of all, just a, just a very interesting story, his life um, from, from beginning all the way to end. Um, the part of his life after his uh, sort of, walking away from the music biz and after the great depression or whatever, it, it looks like he, he'd gotten into uh, bootlegging for a minute there where he, he made his own, I guess, uh, liquor to make a living. Uh, that was kind of interesting too. Uh, Cause I guess in that region, that was very, very popular. Um, you know, I guess moonshine or just whatever you had that people wanted to drink. I mean, you know, even even in times where people have seemingly no money, you know, there is always a need for for that. Uh, and I guess that's where a lot of people went to sort of survive. But um, just a great, great mix as far as the music is concerned of 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 the Appalachian Mountains, where you have, you know, lots of bluegrass and, and folk type music and and, you know, southern blues. And I mean, Really, really nice, nice content where where lyrics are concerned and and great great banjo playing. I, you know, I I wonder about um, you know when he when he first got the call to to come play at the festival how how he felt. You know, I mean, especially after all those years. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I wonder if he, he was probably, is this for real? You know, he, mu he must have been. This? He must you know? have been, yeah. And, and, it's, and it's just really kind of a great way to sort of, you know, have his life end, you know, because he, he got to really sort of enjoy, you know, a little bit of, of the fame of his career and, and new music that he got to record 
right before he passed, you know, and um, that that's that's nice because not that doesn't always end like that. I mean, a lot of times, you know, guys, they, they just totally die in obscurity where nobody knows anything about them until after long after they're gone. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So we're going to start with this tune, Pretty Polly. And uh, yeah, again, you know, his banjo playing, I think, is really interesting because it is this this sort of cross between the Appalachian mountain music that you hear on banjo and uh, Mississippi Delta blues. It's this sort of fusion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, he was really the first one to do this, you know, to fuse these two things and to play it on banjo like he's like he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, in his voice, you know, it'd be interesting to hear his original recordings from the 20s, which I haven't yeah. heard because his voice here is really um, sort of, in a good way, but sort of raspy with sort of age and experience, yeah. you know? And it's, yeah. it'd be interesting to hear him in his youth, you know, what his voice sounded like, because he recorded a lot of these same songs, you know, in the 20s. And it'd be interesting, I don't know, to hear what they sound like, what the difference is, you know, between his young self and his his old self. But yeah. um, I didn't get to listen to those, unfortunately. But, yeah, what did you think of uh, Pretty Polly? Yeah, just like you said, just a, a a really great, great mix of uh, you know what he brought from from the Appalachians and and what he experienced, you know, as as far as Southern blues, just really really pleasant mix of that. Also, something I thought about with with the banjo sound, you know, um, you know, Steve Martin was one of those guys that when he first started kind of playing banjo and talking about it. He said that it's almost impossible to play a banjo and not have it sound like it's it's just totally, you know, Pollyanna, where it's all happy and it's almost impossible to do that. But he he seems to kind of, you know, you know, bend that a little bit where, you know, he throws in that that blues side of it. And, and it, it's not totally like that at all to me. You know, when I when I listen to it, he, yeah, yeah, he yeah. has a, a good mix of of of, of sort of you know, some of the, the good and the bad or, or the happy and the sad, I guess, when, when I listen to him play it, which, which I, I never really that heard that myself, you know, in, in a banjo, like it's, it's mostly like, like Steve Martin said, where it's, it's almost like, you know, you can sing about, you know, all sorts of negative stuff. And, and if you're playing a banjo, it doesn't come off like that, but he, he seems to be able to, to kind of, you know, get around that, so to speak. Um, with his style. Definitely. Yeah, so let's check it out. This first track from Doc Boggs. This is Pretty Polly. Well, I used to be a rambler. I stayed around in town. I used to be a rambler. I stayed around in town. I courted Pretty Polly. Such beauty never been found. Pretty Polly, pretty Polly, oh yonder she stands With rings on her fingers, now leave me what hands Pretty Polly, pretty Polly, come take a walk with me 
Pretty Polly, pretty Polly, come take both of me. Oh, when we get married, it's a pleasure to see. And we just heard Pretty Polly from Doc Boggs, and we're going to move on to a tune that he definitely proves, <laughs> you know, he, he, he proves that, uh, he proves Steve Martin wrong. You know, when Steve <laughs> Martin says that you can't sing a sad song while playing a banjo, this, uh, yeah. we're going to move on to this track, Oh Death. Mm-hmm. And this is another one of these really traditional uh, Appalachian Mountain songs. Um and he really does. I mean, it's it's a chilling, dark song. There's nothing happy about it. Mm. Um, and he sings it that way and plays it that way on on the banjo. Mm. Um, yeah. What did you think of "Oh Death"? Same. Yeah, like I said, just the same thing. Just really, really um, was able to 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 take a a very dark, bluesy type element and and lay it into this song and and um kind of give it you know uh, a sound where you know it, it's it, it obviously it, it's it's dark but I don't, I don't know I, I also take you know some some comfort in, in in what he's trying to say with with this song where you know this is something we're all gonna have to do you know and it, it's not like, you know, you should sit up and, and and worry about it, you know, where, you know, it's like, man, you know, I'm 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 about to die. It's it's almost like, you know, like a, you know, I'm I'm ready to meet my maker type thing, you know. And and it is, but it is somber. But but at the same time, I when when I listen to it, you know, it's it's kinda like he like he he's just trying to make peace, you know. It's a it's a somber, dark kind of piece, but it's peace nonetheless, you know, where especially if you've been suffering. And, and that, it seems like maybe that when I listen to it, maybe that's that's kind of what he's kind of trying to put across too. you know, that, you know, someone who's who's suffering, they they may be ready for death, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, that's kind of what I, I got from this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing I thought was um, kind of cool and I don't know, almost charming about this recording is that you can um, you can hear his foot stomping through the whole thing? So you mm. can hear his foot stomping, keep him yeah. this sort of almost like dirge like, you know, beat or or march like beat through the whole thing. Yeah, um, which I thought I don't know. I just thought that was cool. Um, yeah, yeah, that, I like that too. I mean, it it just it adds just another great sort of acoustic element to yeah. it. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, people in churches. Uh, 
used to kind of do that where you, you would have a church that had no piano, no instruments, you know, but you had hand claps and you had foot stomps. And and those were often used, you know, to add, you know, strong emphasis to a song when you maybe only had a voice. And in this case, you know, all he had was his voice and his banjo. And, um, you know, definitely, you know, it, it definitely would, it, it helps the song and, and helps the, you know, the emphasis on what he's trying to say to me, you know, like you said. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, I, I really like this version of Oh Death. I mean, I, I still think my favorite version of this song is from uh, the movie Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Do you know that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That that was on last night. Uh, oh, really? Fact. Yeah. Uh-huh. That, that's a that's a, a really chilling scene oh, yeah. with the, oh, the, yeah. this the Ku Klux Klan rally where um, Ralph Stanley, another uh, giant of this kind of music, um, is um, they have him you know up on the podium at this clan rally in this sort of yeah. blood red um, clan outfit and then he's singing this song unaccompanied you know yeah just, that so, voice that voice yeah, when that, it comes out yeah you're right it, it makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up yeah it yeah. does it does it's a really <laughs> chilling scene um, but anyway um, yeah, let's check out Doc Bog's version of this tune. This is O Death. What is this is I can see with eyes and take hold on me. I am death and none can sell I'll open the door to heaven or hell. Oh death, oh death, can't you spare me over till another year? Couldn't you call some other day? The children's prayed, the preachers preached, time mercy is out of your reach. I'll fix your feet so you can't walk, I'll lock your jaw so you can't talk. Close your eyes so you can't see this very air, come go with me. Death, I come, take the soul, leave the body and leave it cold. To drop the flesh off of the frame, the earth and worm both have a claim. Oh, death, oh, death, can't you spare me over till another year? Till another year, my mother come to my bed, place cold towel upon my head. My head is warm, my feet is cold. Death is moving up on my soul. And we just heard "Oh Death," and we're gonna move on to our third album of Bonnie Prince Billy. I see a darkness released in 1999. And this is the um, project of Will Oldham is the guy's real name. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess he's been going under this moniker, Bonnie Prince Billy, uh, since this album. And uh, I guess he, you know, his his explanation, you know, when I was reading about this guy, uh, and this is my first exposure to him, um, 
he seems like a really a very deep thinker you know mm-hmm. and he really he really considers things very deeply and in, in uh, the impact that words especially you know have on the listener and the audience and so he came up with this moniker Bonnie Prince Billy to perform under because he thought that it would provide a sort of necessary detachment not only for the audience but for himself to be able to um, perform under you know as this artist you know so he could almost distance himself from himself yeah if that yeah. makes sense it did does I, I I know exactly what you mean because I when when you when you are I guess will Oldham and and you have your life experience and 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 you know you already know about you and you know what that other people already know about you sometimes I guess it helps to to put another name on the cover rather than associate your own name with that experience and kind of give some separation where because these are some very very sincere and telling and bluntly honest songs about you know you know love and, and life and you know brutal sadness and, and, and all kinds of stuff that you know it, it may help you to kind of have like a buffer like you know Bonnie Prince Billy so to speak to to kind of be able to to function I guess if that makes sense um yeah yeah but uh yeah um he um he's got some some lyrics for sure I mean he he seemingly, you know, writes about anything that comes to his mind and, and is not not shy uh, about, you know, definitely his you know relationships. It seems like that's one thing that that he sings about quite a bit, whether they're, you know, they're good or bad. And it seems like there's a lot of bad in his relationships. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, definitely he. I, this was like the first time I'd ever really been exposed to him at all. Um, yeah. Yeah. And just brutally honest in his songs about, you know, you know what he's going through stuff that, you know, if you you seemingly had gone through it in your own self, I I don't know if I would want to write a song about some of this stuff. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let's start with a a minor place. His song, a minor place. Um. And uh, this song, you know, like most of his songs are, are um, on the surface, you know, uh, simple sort of focused songs. Even in this one, you know, you can hear even like an Irish influence in this. I can at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and his his voice is kind of fragile, you know, just kind of yeah. kind of wavering, sort of um, understated voice very understated yes yeah and it's interesting i just thought it was interesting how he doubles his voice so he Mm -hmm. a lot of people when they double their voice they're trying to uh, create like harmony vocals Mm -hmm. and this is more of like a chorusing effect you know i mean he does he sort of veers around you know and, and and creates moments of vocal harmony but it's mostly this kind of chorusing unison effect um yeah which i thought was really kind of uh, unique, you know, it's kind of kind of cool and unique. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I think this this song is very simple, kind of quaint, um, but and it really kind of a delivery vehicle for his lyrics, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. What did you think of a minor place? Um, just kind of the 
a, a setup song where it seems like when he he recorded this and, and a lot of what he records it it's it's just him and kind of just him dealing with his own thoughts and and what he's going through and it, it seems like that's almost like, like what this song is about you know um you know it's like it's like where he goes to to do his thing so to speak you know it you know when he's he doesn't have anything you know around him to distract him you know maybe just really really quiet it's just his his very plain surroundings you know how how things are arranged in the house it's his his minor place and i mean that that might not be exactly what he meant but it, it seems like <clears throat> when i listen to the song you know it's it's just like one of those things where it's like where he he goes to to sort of you know decompress and 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 sort of get his his workout or get his his thoughts out so to speak um you know that that's kind of what i what i took from what he was trying to at least say in this song you know where you know he and, and like you said just very understated voice you know nothing really spectacular but you know really good lyrically you know his playing is is is, is pretty good too i mean like i said is 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 really not not a whole lot lot going on you know but but it's 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 simple enough you know and and, and the lyrical content is 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 good enough to where you know you you want to kind of you know listen more and more and, and and check out more of his stuff to see you know what he's about yeah um, well yeah i think it's 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 like transparent i think he wants you to see right into him and so mm-hmm. uh it's yeah it's got this simple transparency you know that i think he wants this sort of direct communication from his innermost being i guess but um yeah. Yeah, so let's check it out. This track, the first track from Bonnie Prince Billy. This is A Minor Place. Thank you, man, for the thought That all my loving can be born Was wisely in your gullet car Before my loyalty you saw Well, I've been Say I like its face If I am gone And with no trace I will be in my minor place Oh, it's not a desert Nor a web Nor a tomb Where I lay dead Minor in a sound
And we just heard A Minor Place by Bonnie Prince Billy. And we're going to move on to I See a Darkness. Um, and this song, uh, it's the title track from the album, I See a Darkness. Uh, it's apparently to a friend and drinking companion, sort of a sort mm-hmm. of message um, <clears throat> to this friend. And I thought, you know, musically again, because the, the music part, it's always what I latch on to, you know, first. Um and uh, I thought it was really interesting in that the song in a lot of parts is just really static. So it just sort of sits on this like one harmony, you know, for a really long time. And uh, it almost seems like it's everything is like suspended, like frozen in mm-hmm. air and time, you know, um, as he sort of croons about his inner darkness kind of rising to the surface, this sort of inevitable darkness it's almost like you know the, the vibe i got from it was like a greek chorus you know so like in uh in the old greek tragedies you know you'd have all this action going on on stage and then everything would just sort of stop like it was almost like frozen in time and the greek the chorus would come out and comment on everything that just happened and sort of like comment on you know whatever there's supposed to be sort of a moral message going on and what what the audience just saw yeah. And that's the kind of feeling I get from this song. You know, it's almost like uh, uh, everything's frozen in time. It's like this Greek chorus commenting on what's going on inside himself, sort of. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I didn't I didn't really think that I didn't I didn't really think that way. But I, I like I like your analogy of that. That's 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 pretty good. I mean, you know, if, if you if you're trying to sort of purvey a a message about what someone's going through or what they may be headed for. And you, you want to freeze that moment in time where you, you see them, you know, in the, in the thick of whatever it is, and then kind of, you know, talk on it, display it, you know? Yeah. The, I, I can see that. And I, I, I can see that now the way, I mean, the way you describe it, that's, that's, that's a really interesting way to put it. Um, um, yeah, I don't know. That's just what came to my mind. So, <laughs> especially the Greek, the whole Greek, you know, sort of tragedy, you know, fr- moment frozen time. I, I, I never would have thought that. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's cool. That's a cool way to look at that. Yeah. Thanks. Well, let's let's just go right into it. And this is um, the last track from Bonnie Prince Billy or Will Oldham. Um, this is I See a Darkness.
Did you ever Ever notice The kind of thoughts I got Well you know I have a love A love for everyone I know And you know I have a drive To live I won't let go But could you see its opposition Comes rising up sometimes That it's dreadful and position comes blacking in my mind. That I see a darkness, and that I see a darkness, and that I see a darkness, and that I see a darkness. Did you know how much I love you? There's a hope that somehow you can save me from this darkness. And we just heard I See a Darkness. And we're going to move on to Boogie Down Productions by All Means Necessary, released in 1988. This is pretty much the brainchild of uh, rapper K- uh, KRS-One. And... Uh, uh, you know, there's a, a a lot of history. This was kind of a, I guess, like a turning point for KRS-One. Oh yeah, like a huge turning point. Um, yeah. I don't. Know, you want to talk about it or? Yeah. Um, Boogie Down Productions was um uh, originally started um in in South Bronx, New York, with uh. KRS One, uh, you know, rapper KRS One, uh, DJ Scott LaRock, <clears throat> who basically is like KRS One, sort of like mentor, best friend, um, social worker, if you will, uh, even, and uh, a bunch of other, you know, rappers and DJs, uh, Miss Melody, D Nice, you know, just all kind of like this crew that that rolled in in that area and and they um you know were you were like battle MCs, you know where where hip-hop back in the days you know used to rap and go back and forth and there was a party and this is like really to me like the the turning point of krs one's sort of uh career where his uh dj or his best friend scott larock was killed trying to break up a fight and um yeah, I mean, I, obviously, it was just one of those things that really saddened him. You know, they were like, they were really, really close. I mean, KRS One was was basically kind of, you know, living on the streets where he, you know, 
been in trouble with the law, been arrested for, you know, selling weed. And uh, Scott LaRock was was like the guy kind of helped him, you know, get his life back together and, you know, helped him put Boogie Down Productions together for the very first album that they did, uh, uh, Criminal Minded. And and when Scott LaRock was killed, it, it just totally put KRS-One's focus on on life and and hip hop, you know, on a, on a totally different train of thought, so to speak, because he he definitely was one of those rappers in the back in the day that was, you know, he was a he was a straight up battle MC where that that's pretty much where his mind was. But he went from being that also to also being a rapper that that kind of turned into a, a teacher and a mentor himself that rapped about positive things like basically black people not killing each other and, and, and staying away from drugs and, you know, educating themselves and, you know, learning about their own history so as to not make the same dumb mistakes over and over as a people. And, and to me, I often wonder about Scott LaRock's death. If he had not died, would he have changed? I mean, it's very possible he he probably would have gone on to do the same thing, but maybe not. I mean, he might have wound up, you know, just kind of, yeah. you know, doing the same stuff that he had yeah. always done, which is which is not bad. I mean, you know, Karis One came up with a lot of other great great rappers. You know, LL Cool J and you know, you know, Big Daddy Kane and all all the rappers that kind of came up in that era. But to me, he is really one of of those rappers that is is really head and shoulders above the rest when it comes to actually having just just straight up intelligence and knowledge about about life and history and, and he he really is he's really like a teacher you know i mean yeah in in the in the truest sense of the word where he he raps about things that almost nobody raps about and does it fluently yeah you know, and, and that's my main respect for him. But but this album, like like you were saying, it, it definitely was a turning point. When first of all, when you look at the cover of this record and, and him looking out the window with, with the Uzi in his hand, that that is a reference to a, a, a picture that was taken of Malcolm X years back, um, where he kind of was was on um his sort of you know by any means necessary tip which is where that 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 title comes from you know it was just one of those things where you know we we have to really get beyond all this junk you know the the political the social things tying us down eco economically and we have to do it by any means necessary whatever it takes you know sometimes it's like Malcolm X said, it's it's sometimes it's the ballot and sometimes it's the bullet, you know, and it and it's one of those things that you you don't want to have to go there. But, you know, if you get tired of being disenfranchised and and disrespected, you know, sometimes it has to go there, you know, especially yeah. when it comes to, you know, growing up like he did in a very hard, hard neighborhood where it was just, you know, the, the thought of, of coming out of that was almost impossible you know, without having, you know, to come out dead, so to speak, or in jail. Um, but um, definitely one of those, 
one of those albums that was that was just a landmark record for for hip hop music in in a sense to where it was it was just really intelligent rap that that rapped about people's health. I mean, Karis One is a vegetarian, um, and it talks about the the issues with, with meat that that it's your body's not meant to to process meat, which was which was very 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 unpopular at the time. Oh, I'm sure it was. Well, yeah, that <laughs> I mean, that that he he raps about that in my philosophy, right? Exactly. I That's mean, the yeah, the first track that really grabbed me. Like when I heard that, I was like, wow. I mean, he he comes out and you know he's rapping in his style, which is almost it's like a really sort of upfront in your face style of rapping. And you know he calls meat eating. He refers to meat eating as self suicide murder. I was like, yeah. wow. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. Wow. And 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 like I said, <laughs> no nobody was rapping about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just it was very different, and and it was one of those things where it was an era where there were a lot of positive or pro black, if you will, rappers. I mean, that has changed a lot. You you'll find that, but it's it's not on major label labels like like it used to be. I mean, now I mean it, it's it's all pretty much you know you know let let's party, let's get down. You know, and and I mean, there are some rappers that that are still trying to 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 take people in in a positive direction, but it you know not not like this, you know, and 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 that's that's one thing about this record that's that's so very very important that it it, it makes you realize you know who who KRS One is you know and um, and where he's coming from. You know, it's just one of those things that he—he's—he's he's spent a lifetime trying to to bring people in into a, a more positive knowledge of themselves, you know, of other people. Yeah, and 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 trying to trying to really get to the truth of of things, and and not just have people, you know, well, this is what you know, my mother told me, my father told me, my grandmother, blah blah blah, you know, just. You know, just the, the the same old, same old. You know, and that that's another thing about him. I I just always have, have respected. I mean, tremendously about him. He he really really wants people just to know to know the truth. Yeah, you know? yeah. And well, you know, I was going to ask you, and I don't because I don't know the answer, and I don't know if you know the answer, but um, is this? Do you think this is the beginning of the positive rap movement? Like well, you know, we were talking about with Arrested Development, and those, these- I would, I would say that it, it's it's he was he was definitely like, you know, fostering that. There there were some other albums that came out at the time that were that were kind of on the, on the on the same scale. Because okay, like like Public Enemy when their first album, uh, Yo Bum Rush Show came out, it was almost like this where, where, the first Boogie Down production was was not really, you know, like this, where it was mostly about, you know, black people trying to enlighten themselves or anybody, not just black people. And I say that, you know, but they, they have such a wide audience, you know, the, the hip hop community. I mean, you often think it's just, it's just black people a lot of times, but it's really not. I mean, when you look at demographics, there are more white people that spend money on rap music, way more money than black people do. 
And and that's another thing too that's not very popular with some people, but it's just the truth, you know. I mean, you have a lot of money that's spent in rap music, and and the majority of people that are buying it are white, you know. And and that's a cool thing, you know. I mean, because it just means that it's it's a form of music that's not going away. But back to your original um, topic, when when Public Enemy's first album first came out, it was more of a of kind of like a, an album where they again they were more like uh battle MCs not not as much on the 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 positive you know sort of political cultural sense but then after that they they changed too so i i would say that this was one of the first ones like this especially you know where you know like I said a he talked about, I mean, all kinds of stuff. He he still had he still has tracks on this album where he he basically is. If we get into a rap battle on the street, I'm gonna take you out. You know, I'm 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 the best. And I mean, everybody had to had to had that out attitude where I'm the best, or you you know you're gonna get rolled over. But but Karis one is 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 one of those rappers where his bravado is like no other. I mean, he's constantly constantly claiming. You know that he is—he's the best. Even today, he is the best rapper that ever was. You know, and, and he doesn't say that just thinking that. You know, I'm, I'm just saying that for lip service. I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm serious. And and you know, the the acronym of his name, you know, KRS One is you know, knowledge reigns supreme over nearly everyone. You know, that in itself is just one of those things that. You know, his his just his name is is is, is so yeah, yeah. unique and, and set apart from, yeah. <laughs> from almost anything that's out there. You know, and anyway, I I would definitely say that that this is this is probably close to the beginning, if if not. You know, I mean, because there's yeah. there was so much going on then. I mean, where 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 rappers are still you know, doing the same thing and, and, and kind of have these funny names like he, he talks about in my philosophy. And and then there was just so much junk, you know, to, to have someone come and make a, a grassroots down earth statement like this. It was it was very enlightening. You know, I, I still to this day, I, I listen to my philosophy and, and think think it's it's like one of the greatest greatest hip-hop songs i've ever heard you know from from wire to wire where he he starts from the very beginning all the way to the end just yeah just awesome work yeah dude i agree with you i agree with you totally i mean it's so many things that he said in this thing just even the first time i listened to it just popped out at me i'm just like wow that's yeah i mean just yeah uh let's let just check it out cool. this is uh KRS One, my philosophy. Everyone saw me on the last album cover. Holding a pistol, something far from a lover. Beside my brother, S C O T T. I just laughed, cause no one can defeat me. This is lecture number two, my philosophy. Number one was poetry. You know it's me. You know it's my philosophy. Many artists gotta learn. I'm not flammable, I don't burn. So please stop burning and learn to earn respect. Cause that's just what chaos collects. See, what do you expect when you're from the Bronx is thick in real real life we roll correct 
quickly A lot of suckers would like to forget me But they can't Cause like a champ I have got a record Of knocking out the frauds in a second On the mic I believe that you should get loose I haven't come to tell you I got juice I just produce Create, innovate On a higher level I'll be back But for now just settle For seconds, a teacher will begin to speak. I played the nine and you played the target. You all know my name, so I guess I'll just start it. Or should I say start this? Teacher, I'm the artist. Often new concepts that they're hardest. Yo, cause I'm a teacher. This Scott is a scholar. It ain't about money, cause we all make dollars. That's why I walk with my head up. When I hear whack rhymes, I get fed up. Rappers like a setup. A lot of games. A lot of suckers with colorful names. I'm so, I'm this, I'm that, huh? but they all just wick, wick, whack, wick, whack. I'm not white or red or black, I'm brown from the boogie down. Productions, of course, my music be thumping. Others say they're bad, but they're barking. Let me show you something now about hip hop, about D nice melody and scholarship. I get a pen, a pencil, a marker. Mainly what I write is for the average New Yorker. Some MCs be talking and talking, trying to show how black. But they don't care cause the company's selling it It's my philosophy on the industry Don't bother dissing me or even wishing we soften Dilute or commercialize all the lyrics Cause it's about time one of y'all hearing And hear it firsthand from an intelligent brown man A vegetarian, no goat or ham Or chicken or turkey or hamburger Cause to me that's suicide, self-murder Let us get back to what we call hip-hop And what it meant to DJ Scott and we just heard my philosophy, and we're going to move on to, speaking of bravado, his I'm still number one. So, uh, you know, you were talking about that, you know, how, how even today, you know, he claims that he's the best rapper ever and all that stuff. And um, it's interesting because in this song, you know, he's talking about, uh, you know, we're talking about 1988. So, you know, in this song, he's talking about there is no old school because rap's not even 20 years old yet. But, yeah. then, but then he says, but 50 years from now, I'm still going to be number one and I'm still going to be, you know, doing innovative things. And yeah, uh, I was like, that's a pretty bold prediction, but oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he, he's, he has no problem making it, you know? Oh, no, no. And, and that's <laughs> the thing about it. It's one thing to talk and it's another thing to talk and back it up. And that that's the thing about about Karis one. He just he's so good at backing up what he says, you know, and and it, it's. It's just one of those things that you you cannot deny the guy. You know, I mean, he he will just like you said, totally get in your face about whatever. You know, and um, you know, he's he's one of those guys that uh, has has I guess bum rushed people, if you will, that that have dissed him. Um, the the most popular event or or, or evidence of that that I can remember um he got dissed in the I think in the media or in the news by PM Dawn I don't know if you remember them yeah I, I remember them yeah they, they, PM Dawn they dissed was, were they dissing him while they were like meditating or 
you know, they I didn't, didn't seem like, they didn't seem like the kind of band that would, you know, go around dissing because they had this sort of, you know, such a Zen kind of image, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and that, I think that was one of the things that bothered him the most is that they, they said something negative about him. And while they were on stage, he got up on stage and basically snatched the mic. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Out of, out of the hand of the, the man guy, PM Doc. I can't remember his name, the, the guy that rapped and sang. I mean, but it was it was one of those things like, you know, don't disrespect me. You know, I I mean, it's one of those things that I cannot tolerate, you know, especially somebody who I, I'm, I'm sure he figured was as whack as them, you know, in his mind that, you know, kind of had this thing where they like you said, they had this image of. You know, these guys that sat and meditated and this they had psychedelic stuff going on and it yeah. apparently it really pissed him off that they, they said something <laughs> about him. And I, I'm pretty sure that's not the only time he's done that where, you know, it's like, you know, if if you think you you know me, you don't, you know, and, and if you diss me, I'm I'm going to let you I'm going to let you hear about it. I'm going to let you know that I don't appreciate it. Um, and and the, the, another thing about this song is this is a, a great example of how, you know, rappers often would shout out to their their own circle their own crews that are around them and then other rappers that they respected i mean he he drops all these names in this song of of rappers of that time that that he had love for and when you listen to this record and you hear that some of these names if you if you've never heard of them you'd be like well you know i'm gonna go check that guy out because carol's one brought them up on a record you know that you know, he he was, you know, yeah. giving them love, so to speak. Or if you already knew that that crew or that rapper or whatever, I was like, you know, KRS one likes them. I like them too, you know. Hey, that's cool. You know, I I, yeah. I think that yeah. it was it was kind of a way to, to kind of galvanize, you know, uh, a community, so to speak, of 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 rappers, of 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 DJs, of of whatever, you know. And that that's another thing about him too, is is the way he looks at 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 hip hop overall, where it it encompasses rapping, DJing, well, also the all the also the well, well, yeah, but also he he lists industry people too. Yeah, he lists yeah, his, exactly. his manager and his lawyer and <laughs> exactly you know anybody yeah. Who, yeah. who's 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 helping you know you know take care of us one to the next level, so to speak, you know, and, and that's, that's a cool thing too, you know, where, you know, he can kind of just, you know, get, get all that out there. And, and, and again, like you said, just sometimes you got to toot your own horn, so to speak. And, and who better to do it than, than, you know, moi in, in this case where he is never, ever gonna, you know, consider himself, you know, the, the lesser of anybody when it comes to getting on a microphone, you know, and, and yeah. I, I've always gotten that sense from him and, 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 and I really believe him, you know, no matter what happens in the record industry, especially when you have somebody that, that sells a bunch of records, that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they have, you know, the best skills or any skill at all. I mean, especially with the way the music industry is now where, you know, a lot of times it's just about, you know, being out there and being seen, you know, people that, that get, 
you know, the most airplay, you know, nine times out of 10, they, their record sales, you know, they're booming, you know, not always, but Carol is one is one of those people that has, has relied very little on the radio. I mean, he, he's gotten some radio play. I mean, you know, believe me, but, but for the most part, it's about just, just putting out good quality records, going on tour and, and having great shows. I mean, if you, if you go on YouTube and look at some of his live shows, they're insane. I mean, the people are, are so hype to, to put it in a, in a, a proper phrasing where, I mean, it's just, it's just rocking. I mean, the whole audience, I mean, they're just jumping up and down and pumping their fists and, and screaming and, 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 and rapping back to him all the songs. I mean, he'll, he'll rap the song and just drop the mic and the whole audience is rapping the song back to him, you know, better than he could. And just giving him all, all that love back. I mean, it's, it's, it's just nuts, you know, to, to see Karis one live. I mean, it's, it's something else. You know. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, well, should we check it out? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Let's let's do it, man. Um, this is Boogie Down Productions uh, with I'm Still Number One. DJ Doc, you know he's down with us. D Square, he's down with us. What money Mike is down with us I see you, you know he's down with us D-Nice and Mick Buddha down with us Miss Melody, she's down with us Just Ice and DMX are down with us My manager Mo, he's down with us Castle D, boy, he's down with us DJ Red Alert, he's down with us Robocop, boy, he's down with us Making funky music is a must I'm number one, 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 one Rapping for a joke, a passing hope, or a phase with a rope. Sometimes I choke and try to believe when I get challenged by a million MCs. I try to tell them we're all in this together. My album was raw because no one would ever think like I think and do what I do. I stole the show and then I leave without a clue. What do you think makes up a KRS? Concisive teaching or very clear speaking? Ridiculous bass. Aggravating trouble, rebel, renegade, must stay paid Not by financial aid, but a rate of hits Causing me to take long trips I'm the original teacher of this type of style Rocking off beat with a smile or a smirk or a chuckle Yes, some are not up to BDP posse So I love to step in the jam and slam I'm not Superman Because anybody can or should be able To rock off turntables Grab the mic, plug it in and begin But here's where the problem starts No heart Because of that, a lot of groups fell apart Rappers still an art And no one's from the old school Cause rap is still a brand new tool I say no one's from the old school Cause rap on a whole Isn't even 20 years old 50 years down the line You can start this Cause we'll be the old school artists And even in that time I'll say a rhyme A brand new style Ruthless and wild Running around Spending money Having fun Cause even then I'm still number one 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 and we just heard Boogie Down Productions with I'm Still Number One. And um, the last title we're talking about this week, I believe, is uh, is James Booker. Um, 
who uh, we were talking about earlier. Uh, and I, I cannot remember. I cannot remember the name of the album. Uh, it's um, dude. I can't remember either. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't write down. I wrote down like everything but that. It's um, New Orleans Piano Wizard Live. Okay, there we go. And I, 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 I knew it was a live album, but I, 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 for some reason, I totally dropped the rest of the title. But either way, uh, James Booker with New Orleans piano is live and that that title pretty much sums it up um yeah <laughs> the guy is is an amazing amazing piano player um mm-hmm. as witness you know with with the two tracks we're about to hear um he pretty much will go into the song where he lets you know how good he is and he just plays piano before he even says a word sometimes like you know He'll play maybe three, four minutes into the song before he says a says a word at all, you know, or sings anything at all. And um, he just kind of lets you soak it up. And 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 the guy obviously has has been influenced by so many things, New Orleans or or, or Louisiana or Southern. Um, I mean, I hear blues, I hear gospel. I, I mean, I hear. I guess what some people would call ragtime or boogie woogie style piano playing like um like Charles Brown. Uh he's he's one of those guys that has that that one-handed style of piano playing where he can he can move off to the side and just play piano with with one hand and 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 just kind of tinkle the the keys um just just really really good good stuff. Um Yeah, yeah. I mean super skilled. Uh, I think he even had some classical training, um, mm. and also blew up, blew up, um, grew up <laughs> in the uh, church. Um, his both, I think, both of his parents were uh, uh, Baptist ministers. Yeah, his yeah. mother and father, and then um, you could really hear that in his playing. You know, uh, spending so many years on the organ every Sunday in you know the gospel tradition that really comes mm. through and is playing big time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, the first track that we're going to hear on the sunny side of the street, this is a sort of a standard tune. And, uh, you know, he's playing it in a real sort of stride or ragtime kind of way. Um, but it really shows off his playing and he doesn't sing until the very end of the tune. Yeah. So, you know, here you can really hear you can he really shows off his virtuosity, you know, in his playing and his wit and his playfulness and his playing. Um, it was recorded live. I guess this whole album was recorded live in 1977 at the Boogie Woogie and Ragtime Piano Contest in Zurich, Switzerland. So, mm-hmm. you know, you get this live energy too. you know, yeah. the, that energy of of the crowd and of playing live and um uh yeah man it's just a great track what did you think of this one yeah just again i like you said the the having the 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 live element to it just adds already more to what he was doing um i I would love to see the the actual footage of the show if there is apparently he was somewhat of a flamboyant uh performer as well He, he you know he had other things going on on stage along with uh what he was already doing playing and um you know, I, I, I think he uh, is just one of those guys that 
Yeah, I mean, it's somewhat known, but but not really. Um, you know, because I the the cover of this record, I, I've seen it time and time again in a lot of different places, but I had never really listened to it uh, until we we started focusing on it uh, in the last couple of weeks. And I mean, I was just amazed at how well he played and then his style of playing, which it just seemed to bring in a lot of different elements, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and being in New Orleans, I mean, I, I mean, having it being like a, a city like it was a, a, a port city from way back in the days, it, it had all kinds of stuff going on. Um, and, and that reflects even in his playing where, you know, he just has all kinds of sounds coming through and, and just in this song, and like you said, it, it's a standard song, but he kind of adds his own taste and flavor to it to to make it different, so to speak. And, um, you know, just a really, really, really solid, solid record. Yeah. I mean, all the way through. I mean, just great, great performance. Great example of of, of, of how much church can influence someone and their style of playing. Something I, I thought about when um, when looking at, at him um, is is that it's it's really hard to, to teach that unless you've been around someone who who was in church or was around someone in church. It's it's a style of playing that's that's difficult to to sort of bring out in people it just it's either there i guess or it's not i guess you can you can always learn it um uh, uh tears for fears had an album that that sowing the seeds of love album that came out like i guess in the late 80s or early 90s that had a uh, uh olita adams on it um a lady who they they saw her in a holiday inn one night when they were on tour and just she just blew them away apparently and they brought her in on on that album to play it and, and when you hear some of that record and you hear her playing you know it's the same thing with her where she came up in church and because i mean I, I can remember you know playing that album and when we worked in in the store where we worked and people were saying you know you know who is that is that like a like a gospel artist like i don't know that's tears for fears and i'm like you know, I thought they were white. And I'm like, oh well, yeah, they are white. You know, I was like, well, what? Who's playing the <laughs> piano? You know, I was like, oh, I don't, because I, I had to look myself when I did, I didn't know originally, and then I mean, it found out it was Olita Adams, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, she uh, she must have been in church sometime or another, because you hear that yeah. automatically. I think the song is a bad man song that that we were thinking about. Anyway, you know that it's it's just the, something that's so distinctive about that sound that uh that I just I mean I love it. You know, it it it, it's, it it sounds like it sounds like church. It just sounds like like the gospel, so to speak. You know, where you know it's it's just a, a a good news type sound to it. You know, when he plays, so definitely. Uh, well, let's check out this first track. This cool. is uh, on the sunny side of the street. Thank you. 
just heard on the sunny side of the street by James Booker and we're going to move on to ain't nobody's business and uh, this is really where you can hear the Baptist upbringing mm-hmm. uh, I mean you can just hear him you know playing this on organ in church every Sunday maybe not singing these words but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but but the music you know um, is definitely doing it, you know, but the words are about, you know, he can do what he wants. It's not your business. He can, you know, jump into the ocean, wah, 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 and it's not your business. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one line though, that he says, <laughs> he says, uh, if I should go crazy by a shotgun and try to shoot my baby, it's nobody's yeah. business. If I do that yeah. line, I was like, well, maybe that's somebody's business. I don't know. Yeah, you know? <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming. I mean, let's 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 get real real distinctive here. I'm, I'm assuming when he means baby, not literally like his toddler, but no, no, he but means like his, his girlfriend. Yeah, like his girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just just saying. I mean, because I know some people hear that and they, you know, they they take it in a literal sense. But even 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 so, that's that's pretty dark lyric. And yeah, I mean, because it's like it's kind of all sort of funny. Before yeah. that, and then he says that, and I was like, "Whoa, what?" <laughs> it's yeah. like may- maybe that would be somebody's business, but maybe the the other stuff, you know, is is your business. <laughs> I was just like, "Yeah." I, I, I also take it because in the beginning of the song, he says, "Oh Lord," I'm I'm assuming he he's saying like, you know, only God can judge me. Almost like Tupac would yeah. say, you know, yeah, yeah, people people live their lives how they want to, and in the end, nobody really can say anything except for. So for maybe the Lord, you know, he's the he's the final judge and jury. And, and I, I mean, I would I would hope to think that a lot of this stuff is not stuff he's actually actually contemplating. It's just kind of like a yeah. an example yeah. where, you know, hey, man, I'm going to live my life, you know, and, and and if you don't like it, you know, it's too bad. That's right. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. He also performed with this pirate patch. You know, yeah. One of his eyes was a star on it. And I, I looked, man, I, you know, because I wanted to find out, was he really blind in one eye or did something happen to one of his eyes? I couldn't I couldn't find. I was trying to yeah. figure that out, too. And I, and I looked and looked. And like I said, 
there's a whole element of flamboyance with him. And I just wonder, was that just something he did? Exactly. Just, just to mess with people? <laughs> yeah. Because it seemed like he, he, he kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Screaming Jay Hawkins, where, you know, Screaming Jay Hawkins was like, you know, extraordinary in his flamboyance. He had all kinds of stuff going on on stage where people would, would sometimes get up and walk out and go, okay, this is a little too spooky for me. But he just, he was one of those guys that can really play and had this insane vocal range where he literally yeah. would scream on stage. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, he would set stuff on fire and, and I mean, you know, uh, James was not as, as extreme as that, but he, he definitely had, you know, kind of a, kind of a, a funky attitude where he, he would get up on stage and, and, and have this stuff going on. And, you know, this, the mix of, of church and Southern and kind of esoteric, just, it all seemed appealing to him, mm -hmm. you know? And, yeah, uh, I, I think, you know, that's, that's something I definitely would like to get into more. He, he obviously had some, some issues, um, definitely, uh, you know, had, a some drug abuse and some alcoholism. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty much why he died in 1983. Yeah. Um, it's just a lifelong that's, yeah, that's the sad part of his life. Definitely. Um, and, uh, you know, I also read that, um, Harry Connick Jr. Was like a really close to him. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently and, so. Yeah. Learned a lot from him and, uh, yeah, but that that pirate patch I always wondered. Yeah, just like you said, was that real or was that for show? You know, was it like, um, you know, Igor's hump from Young Frankenstein? Did it? Did, <laughs> it, did, moves, it, did it, it move? Moves side to side. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, yeah, so I don't know, but um, yeah, here let's check this last track out from James Booker. This is "Ain't Nobody's Business." Lord, Lord, Lord. Lord, 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 it ain't no body's business if I do.
We just heard Ain't Nobody's Business from James Booker, and that's going to do it for this week, episode number 24 of the 1000 Recordings podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and please do, email us at 1000recordingspodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 1000rp. You can follow us on Facebook, and you can go to our website at 1000rp.blogspot.com. And we have a new five-star review to read from iTunes. Do you want me to read that? Please do us the honors. <laughs> that I, I, I'm so grateful whenever we get anybody to respond, especially when it's when it's positive like this. Yeah, it's great. So um, this is the latest one uh, from Kasik Kasakwe. I have no idea. Kasakwe? <laughs> I don't know. So they say, it's cosmic. I came upon uh, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die book by accident in the local Trident booksellers in Boston last week. Uh, many, many dollars spent in iTunes while reading this book. Mm. From, from Tom Moon's blog, I happened upon your podcast. Just listen to number 10 and guess what? Purchase the Adagio for strings. More money spent in iTunes. Super job. Your love of music shines through. Excellent companion to a wonderful book. Thanks so much. Great. Thank you, Casa K. Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah. And uh, if you would like to go to iTunes, and we would love for you to do this and leave us a rating and a review, um, that would help us get out to more listeners, and uh, we will read your review on the show. So, yeah, if you get a couple minutes, um, go to iTunes and do that. And uh, what do we got coming next week? Um, one of the albums that I, I tried to make us review this week or the week before or whatever uh, that actually is up next week is, uh, I think, Booker T and the MGs, um, which. Uh, yeah, that that should be amazing. A melting pot. They they were just a very, very good. Good mix of. Of, of soul and blues, basically the the backing band in, in the Blues Brothers movie. If you ever seen that movie, uh, it's pretty much you know, well Doug Dunn and, and I think uh, Steve Cropper, uh, but just amazing classic classic soul record. Um, Lo Borges, which uh, is uh, world music, Brazil. Apparently, uh, it's something different Mm -hmm. uh, that I had not heard of before. Uh, Boston's self-titled album, which is just uh, rock and roll legendary recording, landmark recording. Um, So many people who first picked up a guitar, I'm sure, had this record playing in the background when they they first started. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see. Um, The Bothy Band. just like a Irish Celtic type group, you old hag have killed me. <laughs> That's a nice title, interesting title. And um, let's see, Calfu 
Dangere, um, which is a uh, world music uh, from Haiti. Uh, and I'm not sure how to pronounce the title. Uh, I, I I don't even want to try to butcher I it. I think either, that is the title. I think the ar- artist is... Um, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Uh, the, uh, so I, I got the title of the album right, but the actual artist is is the one I can't pronounce. I'm sorry. Uh, that's okay. Uh, I guess I took the easy way out. <laughs> Book, yeah, it's, it looks like Bookman Experians. Bookman Experians. I, I don't know. That's it's a, it's that's a group it from Haiti. Like. Yeah. So, you know, Haitian Haitian music has, has got all sorts of stuff going on where, I mean, we were talking about New Orleans where, you know, Haiti was just one of those islands that, you know, was, you know, run by the French for so very long and, and and obviously has influences from africa too so that that should be good that should be interesting uh, yeah yeah definitely cool man well um yeah i'm looking forward to getting into that stuff again it's a lot of unfamiliar stuff to me um so yeah me and, too. Uh, yeah that's that's what it's all about man discovering oh, yeah. new stuff and uh talking about it so yeah Bring on challenge I, I i love it every week is you know it's different it's it's, uh-huh. it's something that you know, brings out the the music lover and the both of us. So, yeah, definitely, cool, man. Well, um, that is it for this week, and uh, yeah, so we'll see everybody next week with some new music. All right, take care, everybody. Have a great week. Bye bye. Would you please bring your narrow ass home? You know. <laughs>